This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Puck is sent down towards the empty net and in! For the third time of the last four seasons, the Tampa Bay Lightning advance to the Eastern Conference Final. End of season for the Bruins, 112 points. Cassidy, a finalist for the Danny Adams Award. Ah, a little Blake 182 there. That, of course, is damn it, and they play that right before every Bruins game, right as the teams are lining up to face off at TD Garden. Of course, a lot of Bruins fans still saying damn it right now, but I was looking for a, a good song about youth and growing up and, and, and you know, taking that next step in your life. And, you know, I think that kind of – it's kind of fitting. Maybe that's why they were playing it all season at TD Garden because this was a season about a youth movement uh, with, of course, a veteran core – uh, as its foundation, and joining me now to talk about the Bruins' 2017-18 season and the playoffs that just their playoff season that just ended, I should say, here on the Bruins beat on CLNS Media, is Mike Petralia with me, Jimmy Murphy. How are you, Trax? Jimmy, I'm I'm kind of sad that the the cup run is over for the Bruins because I a I enjoyed love covering the Bruins with you and b. I love watching playoff hockey and covering playoff hockey. There's, you know, it's cliche to those Christians among us, but there truly is nothing like the Stanley Cup playoffs to me. Yeah, yeah, it's true. I mean, it's it, you just you feel it the second. I mean, the playoffs start the second you get you get into that building, and you know, it's interesting. I think that's that's a great segue there, Mike. I mean, I think we kind of saw that with this this Bruins team for a lot of these youngsters. Uh, this was their first taste of the playoffs. And and really, I, I don't think the word would be deep, but they did make it 12 games in and really getting a solid, solid taste of it. Um, and, you know, Mike, you weren't around as much during the season, but you did jump in and, and cover every home playoff game with me. And I, I guess I just want to take one positive from you that, that stood out to you right away about this team. And then I guess uh, we'll, we'll dissect maybe a negative. And I think from the sounds of it, when we talk off air, we'll be on the same page. But I'll, let's start with the positive there. Well, I'm going to give you two. I'm going to okay. tell you that I thought, first of all, that the top line produced when they had to produce for the most part. I mean, they had 57 points, the most of any team through the first two rounds, any line uh, of any playoff team in the first two rounds. I don't know how you can expect much more from Marshan, Bergeron, and Pasta. I mean, I, I think they were as advertised. Secondly, uh, I love the poise that both Jake DeBrusque and, and uh, Charlie McAvoy show, showed. Uh, DeBrusque on the second line with Craig Sheep uh, and Rick Nash uh, when Nash was healthy. And, um, you know, obviously McAvoy playing with Chara. I thought McAvoy showed a lot of toughness. 
Um, I thought he made some very good plays. I thought he was very responsible for, you know, being a 21-year-old uh, defenseman in the Stanley Cup playoffs. And uh, I think the Bruins put a lot on his shoulders, and he responded. So those would be my two areas uh, that I would take away as definite positives from the Cup run. Yeah, you know what? I will. Uh, I'll agree with you there. And I, I think another positive as well um, was the fact that you know they came they came into that playoffs with a lot of expectations, and I know that they didn't they didn't maybe meet them. Um, but what I liked, and this is, you know, maybe just me reading a lot into it, but I really liked at the media day, the way they had, or the, you know, the breakup day, they call it, uh, our final right. availability with the players, the perspective that those young players had, it, it, like, it wasn't, uh, oh, shucks, we'll move on. And it wasn't, uh, oh, my God, the sky is falling. It was very even keeled. They were upset. And they want more, and they, they believe they could have gone further, and, they, and they, they know they can if they continue on this. But they, they just kept everything in perspective, and, and I really like – I think that's a good sign. I mean, you're talking about DeBrusque and McAvoy with that poise. I think there's an overall poise amongst that young core that they understand the growth and the, and the youth movement they're in right now and that they're not getting ahead of themselves too much. I mean, I think – this team had the capability to go a little further, but at the same time, you know, there's a danger sometimes when teams that are developing drags, um, you know, they, they have that huge year too fast, if you know what I mean. And I'm not saying that, right. of, course, of course we want to see a Stanley Cup in Boston, but at the same time, you know, would that have kind of put them off their path and, and then kind of screwed up the big picture and screwed up the long run where, you know, Maybe they just get disillusioned where they are. And I was worried about that last year, too. And I think we've discussed this before, is that they have a good ability to maintain where they're going, where they want to be, without letting success or failure point them in a different direction. And I think that's the biggest thing I took away from the Bruins players, from the coaching staff, and from management. And I think, you know, in the last year, maybe year and a half, that's what's impressed me the most about Don Sweeney is his ability to stay the course regardless of what maybe us, the media, the fans say, or maybe even some guys he works with. He, he's just staying his course and he's doing his job. And I, I think that's a great sign going forward. Well, I think what you saw this year is essentially why Bruce Cassidy was brought in. We all love Claude Julian. Uh, he's a borderline Hall of Fame coach, and I know you feel this way. Yeah. Um, but sometimes the message – gets lost or there needs to be a new tone in the message. And I think with Bruce Cassidy, um, I think he struck the right chord with the younger core of their players. And that's what Don Sweeney wanted. That's essentially why they made the move. And I think when you take a look at the way Cassidy has developed this Bruin team uh, over the last two and a half years, um, you know, they are, I think they're getting the message. And I think the younger core does not feel this pressure when they're on the ice that, oh, God, I can't make a mistake. I can't let my man get behind me and, and get in an odd man rush, and I'm going to be pulled, and my minutes are going to weigh down. That's not the sense you get at all among these young players. Obviously, they're talented. They wouldn't be on the, on the, uh, the big league roster if they weren't uh, on the Bruins roster. Uh, but 
they're going to be a lot when they're up, they're going to be allowed to play. And I think that's really a good balance to strike and give Don Sweeney credit for that. Like you said, because he's not going to bring these players up from Providence or wherever, unless he feels like, okay, these guys are not just here for a cup of coffee. They are ready to skate 20 to 22 minutes a game. And we're going to, or, you know, even 18 to 22 minutes a game somewhere in there, because we're going to need that. And they understand that when they get called up that, Hey, you're not here just to, you know, take up a, you know, one of the 18 skaters on the bench spot. You're here to produce. You know, I agree with everything you just said, but ironically, one of my negatives and I, and look, I don't want listeners here to take, take this as me blaming Cassidy by any means for the loss uh, to the lightning and, and why this team didn't go further. I'm not saying that at all. I, I don't think, I think he's far from the problem. But ironically, one of the things I loved most about Cassidy during the course of the year, but not so much in the playoffs, because I think he, he sort of veered away from it, was that he actually, he had a way, Trags, I don't know if you noticed it, but he sort of, he had a great way of in-game kind of switching back and forth between Julian's style in his style, or furthermore, just blending it at times, where he was able to still have that structure and the layers that Claude Julian always preached about and that he had during those, those glory years of 2011 and 2013. But at the same time, he attacked. And he sort of know, he knew when to turn the switch on for each and when to turn them off. I didn't see that in the playoffs. And I thought at times... And it's hard, it's hard, right? And that's part of growing with a team. And I think this is more on the youth. Sure. But it's hard. I, there were times where I said, man, right now, that shutdown tight hockey or that, that playoff style hockey, so to speak, because we all know that hockey gets, you know, bump and grind in the playoffs and it's, it's not as much run and gun. But there were times where I thought maybe he could have mixed that in more. But I still don't blame him because I, I think maybe he tried. And I think this is just a learning experience of how these kids going forward are going to learn to blend both styles and, and know when to apply each. I don't, does that sound crazy to you? No, I, I would only say that when I look at minutes, the, the one criticism I would have of Cassidy in the playoffs, I think Char was on the ice too long. I, I, I do. Um, I think when you're talking about a 41-year-old defenseman who is in excellent condition, that doesn't necessarily mean he should be on the ice for that long and for, you know, 23, 24 minutes, a couple of games, uh, especially in the Tampa series, especially with Tampa speed. Um, I, that would be my only criticism. I thought um, some of the uh, younger defensemen, um, I, I, you know, I really do think that uh, Bruce wanted to go with Chara and get and, and see what Chara had had left in the tank because he's such a veteran leader on the ice, but I would have liked to have seen his minutes um, diminish a little bit, especially in the second round. You know, and that's a great segue there, Mike. And I, I think that uh, we agree. And you and I kind of talked about this before a couple times, you know, that's, that's the biggest issue going forward. And, and, and is it that Cassidy leaned too heavily on him, or is it that he was afraid not to lean too heavy? I don't, I don't think I think afraid is a strong word, but at the same time, I think we both agree that the Bruins have an issue on their hands going forward because 
it's pretty well known around the league that one of uh, Don Sweeney's targets at the trade deadline, and it will be again this summer. And, you know, one could argue as if he got the Ryan McDonough instead of Rick Nash, they'd still be playing right now. And that's because I think the biggest need right now that everyone will agree with is, is the Bruins left D on the top pairing because it's not, you know, char anymore. And so the question I have for you is, okay, if Don Sweeney can succeed, and we'll talk a little bit about how he might do that, but if Don Sweeney can succeed in acquiring that top left D pairing, uh, you know, is, he, is, is Bruce Cassidy going to be able to say to Zane O'Chara on the bench in the game, in a 3-3 game, when the other team's buzzing and, you know, the Bruins need their young legs out there, is he going to be able to say, Z, you're sitting this shift out. I'm putting, I'm going with, uh, with Charlie and whoever that lefty. You know, like, is he going to be able to say that? And I think that's a big issue going forward because I think well, Charlie's a I don't great think, guy, I, he's still got an ego. But the thing is, Murph, you don't make that deal or make that acquisition in the offseason without making it clear, uh, Sweeney and Cassidy, before the season begins, hey, Z, here's what we're doing. And here's how we're building this roster. And Z either has to be on board or you part ways. And I grant you, they signed him to a one-year, $5 million deal. But th- there has to be limitations on Z going into next year. I mean, I, even Z has to understand that, I would think. And if he doesn't, then you say, okay, well, you know, thanks for, thanks for the service, the $5 million, the buyout, whatever that would be, two-thirds of the, the $5 million is what you yeah. have to spend. and and part ways, but I, I don't think Z um, would bark too much at that. Under, if the Bruins, if Sweeney goes out and says, look, we want to take that next step. And I think Charo wants to be part of one more run, right? That's why he would come back with the Bruins because he sees a good young core yeah. to finish with 112 points. And if you show Zdeno, hey, look, this is what we're doing to make us stronger this is the role we see you. I, I don't think he'd have as big a problem as you might expect. Yeah, you know what? You're right. And, you know, another thing they could say to him, too, and it's going to help both him and the team, and I think this is the whole idea of it, and we saw them do it with Tuka Rask, is, hey, Z, we, if we minimize your minutes during a regular season right now and we pace it, right, and we treat it as a marathon and not a sprint, then, you know what? You're going to have more minutes in the playoffs. Because you're just going to be so fresh. I mean, look at, the, look at how much more fresh Tuka Rask was in the playoffs compared to years past. And, and look at how fresh he was down the stretch run compared to years past. I thought Tuka Rask, to me, and, and people can say you're nuts. They lost the series in five games. How can you say it? He was their best player in that series. And I think if the Bruins in front of him hadn't ran out of gas, they might still be playing. You know, So if you can have a, a – a rejuvenated and a fresh Zidane Char and a fresh Tuka Rask come playoff time, you're looking pretty good. Well, I, I actually thought he was uh, – Rask was average in the Toronto series. I thought he was very good in the Tampa series. Yeah. I would agree with that. And I would say that, look, Tuka is on board for, what, the next three years at $7 million apiece? Yeah. Um, no. I, I, yeah. Unless you can tell me they're going to get a better answer than Tuka Rask, I don't think he's going anywhere. Maybe, maybe they do. Maybe they package him. I don't know, but I don't think the I don't think Don Sweeney 
is in a rush to get rid of Tuka Rask. I know a lot of fans, especially on Twitter during the playoffs, were just obliterating Tuka. Yeah. But you have to understand that premium goaltending, you see the difference it does make when you get good play, even above average play in front of the goalie. If your goalie uh, gets support in front, you can go on a long, long run in the postseason. I mean, look what the Penguins did with Matt Murray the last couple of years, yeah. or at least last year on the way to the uh, Cup. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, Murray Murray was good, but he was so good around him. Yeah. That, and they were so offensive, and they and they you know had the they had such good puck control and puck possession. The Penguins did. That's what I think Sweeney thinks, you know, the, the Bruins need to improve upon is probably – and you heard this from Cassidy. He said it earlier, right? we got to be better. Yeah, we got to be able to control the puck better. If we don't control the puck, you know, there's only so much Tuca can do. Well, you know, it, it, it's a great point. And, and to kind of loop it all together, I mean, for the whole season, if you recall, you can go back and watch the highlights tracks, but when they started the season, you know, they started off in a slump. And everybody's like, oh, they, you know, and that's where they, the Bruins uh, got that soundbite from Michael Felger when he said, that's it, the season's over. And it was only halfway through October. And they're too young. They're yeah, too, they're too young. young and all the, Which was ridiculous. Yeah. But you know what's ironic is everything you just described, okay, and, the way, and everything Cassidy described at the end, and, and the way they finished the season with the way they began. And, and that, and it wasn't too garasque. Everybody was pointing at him in the beginning of that season and saying, "Look at him! He's a sieve and all this." And he got pulled twice, and people were saying Anton Hudobin should be the star. But did anyone ever notice what was going on with the team at that time? They weren't making those first outlet passes. They were just trying to rim it around the boards. They were getting hemmed in, and that's exactly what happened against Tampa Bay. And if they can correct that, and I think part of it goes back to what we're saying about the defense there. It all starts with the D. They can correct that. They're going to be on their way. You know, I want to ask you something, too, about Tuca before we move on from him, Trags. Do you think part of the problem, and it's something obviously, I don't think he's ever going to shake. Even if he wins a Stanley Cup, they're never going to give him his due credit. Do you think the problem is Tim Thomas and what people saw he did in 2011, and now that's just the bar that everyone in Boston sets it to? I think Tuca's problem was probably – the last 90 seconds of game six of 2013. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that. That, and the other thing, Murph, that I would tell you is, obviously people are going to remember the end of the season 2015 where, or was it 2016, I should say, mm-hmm. where against Ottawa, he was a DNP because he didn't, you know, wasn't, he was sick and couldn't play in the last game when the Bruins, uh, a lot of fans said, well, you, we need you now. We need two points to get into the playoffs. Where are you? And I think those two moments, game six against the Blackhawks in 2013 uh, of the Stanley Cup Finals and the no-show against the Senators at the end of that year, a couple of years later, those are the two things people are always going to remember about Tuka Rask, for better or worse. Yeah. You know what? You're right. It's, it's – uh... I don't know. I hope, I hope sometime the guy can redeem himself in this city, you know, because I think he's a pretty good guy. Man, I don't well, know. If I mean, you know what, Murph? I don't think it's so much about redeeming himself. Boston fans are finicky. I mean, I don't think there's any disputing yeah. that. They are the most finicky sports fans. They're also fans. spoiled, Drag, since 2000. Very. 
spoiled fans in the country, maybe the world. <laughs> and and the thing, the only issue I have with that is, I think these people need to understand what kind of great goalie Tuca is and the numbers he's put up over his career. I mean, he's a Vezina Trophy winner, right? Yep. And all we had to look, do is look at what happened to Pekka Rene, Rene oh, in Game boy. 7 uh, against Winnipeg. Even the best, and, and he got pulled, what, from three of the four home games in that series? Yes. So, I mean, sometimes goalies go through bad stretches, and Tuca hasn't really even had anything to compare with, with uh, what happened to Rene in uh, that series against Winnipeg. And still, people want to run Tuca out of town. Look, I mean, I get it. Sometimes it's time to move on and find the next great goaltender. But unless you're telling me that Hudobin or unless you're telling me that Hudobin or McIntyre are the next great thing, then I don't see the, the urgency in running Tuka out of town. Well, and I don't know if you saw, you know, the scrum I was in on with them tracks uh, at the last media veil there, um, and and the picture I, I showed in the video of the bursar in his ankle. And God, I love it. I looked at him, and I I don't know anything about those injuries, so maybe it was a stupid medical question. But I said, you know, do you have to get any type of surgery for that? How does that go? He goes, oh, no, they're just going to go in there and tear it open, rip it out. And he's looking at me like it's no big deal. And I'm like, okay. You know, so first off, don't ever question his guts and how tough he is because he played with that, he said, for the whole playoffs. His whole ankle was blown up. I don't know how he fit in an escape. But what I loved most about his end, end of the season availability there was when he said, look, I get it. It's like being a pitcher in baseball. It's, that's what a goalie's about. And, you know, we're the last line of defense, and everyone's going to notice your mistakes the most out of anyone in the ice. I understand that. That's part of being a goalie. And if I was the fans, I'd go nuts too, and I'd boo too. So, you know what? At least if these people aren't going to respect his play, at least respect him as a person, man, because a guy, he's just he's, he's a class act. And I'm glad that, you know, the Bruins have seen that and haven't made any rash moves. Going, you know, and I don't think they will going forward. I agree with you. I don't either. Yeah. What's up, guys? Jimmy Murphy here, host of Bruins Beat, Espo's Take, and Murphy's Hockey Law on CLNS Media. And, uh, you know, look, the other day, I'm hanging out having brunch with my daughter, my seven-year-old daughter, and uh, she's telling me how much she loves my hair. You know, and she says, oh, you're lucky. You know, you have hair still. I know the older guys. This is a seven-year-old daughter you're talking to. Crazy. But she's like, oh, the guy, older guys will lose their hair, but you haven't lost your hair, Daddy. And I said, yeah, I'm lucky. And then she starts brushing through it, and she's like, wait a minute. You've got a huge bald spot in the back, Daddy. Oh, I see what you're doing. You're just pushing the hair over there. You're just pushing that over to cover that up. And I said, oh, well, she's going to catch it anyone's going to catch it, right? That's a little seven-year-old, but then again, she is a smart little seven-year-old. But look, that hair that I push over there, it's not always going to stay in place and be where I need it to be, right? And that bald spot is going to show up. And unfortunately, I didn't know uh, about hints before this started. I don't even know when it started, but look, I mean, the facts are, guys, 66% of men lose their hair by age 35. And like we're saying, the thing is, when you start to notice hair loss, it's usually too late. It's easier to keep the hair you have than replace the hair you've lost. Yep, that's a pretty simple fact that we tend to forget. Is that hairline slowly starting to move backwards? Any bald spots like me yet? How are you going to feel a year from now? Is business as usual up there? No, 
that's not going to happen. The bald spots are going to show if they haven't already and you just don't notice. They're going to be there. The hairline's going to recede, all right? Why do we always just wait? And why do we try to cheap out uh, and, and cut corners? And, or why do we pay expensive prices? Because it looks glamorous online. We see a great ad or we see, you know, our, our favorite athlete did it as well. Our favorite male movie star did it. Guys, enough of this crap. All right, stop turning to weird solutions. You want to go to fourhims.com, a one-stop shop hair for hair a one-stop shop for hair loss, skincare, sexual wellness for men. That's right, one-stop shop hair loss, skincare, sexual wellness for men. All right, thanks to science, baldness can be optional, and Hims connects you with the real doctors and medical-grade solutions to treat that hair loss. So, guys. Order now, right now, I'm telling you, because my listeners, okay, you listen to the Bruins Beat, you're going to get a trial month of hymns for just $5. Right now, today, right now, if you go there right now to 4 while supplies last, you'll get a trial month of hymns for just $5. See the website for all the details. This would cost hundreds if you went to the doctor or pharmacy. Go to 4 slash beat. All right, forhims.com slash beat. That's forhims.com slash beat. And stop the hair loss before it begins or get that hair back. It's Jimmy Murphy on the Bruins Beat. Listen, before I let you go, um, I want to ask you, just if you take one, one moment in that playoff run, and I, I know it wasn't as long as we like, but if there was one moment that you're going to, you know, you're going to remember and you're going to look back on as next season begins. What would it be? Uh, it'd have to be the third period of, of game seven against Toronto. When it, they were down 3-2, uh, there were ebbs and flows in that game seven. And it looked like Toronto was, you know, the younger, hungrier team. And the Bruins found a way behind Bergeron in that third period. And uh, not only that, but that was also the period, I believe, uh, Jake DeBrusque had a big yeah. uh, third period Great. goal. Um, and and you saw the perfect blend of veterans and young players make big plays in that third period against Toronto. It'd probably be Jake DeBrusque. I, you know, that's probably the one thing that would stick out to me about the postseason run is um, he making, uh, you know, scoring and making a huge contribution when the team needed it uh, in a do or die uh, game, game seven. Yeah, I'll stick right with you on that. I, I think that is definitely one of the best moments, too. And I'll also look at um, the end. And I look at the end, and I'll go back to, to that media availability. I, I just loved – I love the tone. I love the maturity that was shown from those young kids. And I also – I liked the veterans looking at it, their perspective as well. And yeah, they're bummed out because they don't know. They know they don't have many opportunities left. But the fact that they care so much about the organization and they were still so excited about the future um, showed a lot to me. And I, you know, I, I well, think, we, you know, one thing, Murph, not to cut you off, but we have yeah. to talk about Brad Marchand and oh, yeah. how the team you know addressed what we do. him, uh, how the team addressed that at the uh, breakup meeting. And I, I, I will say this: I think Brad Marchand is on his final. Um, straw with the team. And I think the team did a very good job of not, you know, uh, getting cute at the, at the breakup meeting. 
Uh, obviously, Don Sweeney and Bruce Cassidy saying, look, yeah, we have talked to Brad, and we're trying to get across to him um, that forget the team. You have a family. You have a wife and, and a young child to look after. And if you want your legacy to be licking a guy on the face twice in the Stanley Cup playoffs, um, then so be it. But if you don't, then you need to clean up your act. And I thought a very contrite Brad Marchand um, was something else that certainly you have to remember about the Bruins Stanley Cup playoff run for better or worse. And that was the worst, right? That's the image of the franchise getting soiled by somebody just behaving in a, in a filthy manner, literally filthy. And, um, you know, I think the Bruins need to get beyond that. I think Marchand needs to get beyond that. Because Marshan's still 29, right? He's going to be 30 next year. He just turned 30. He's got great... He just turned 30. He just turned 30. Yep. He's, got to, he's got to get beyond that if the team wants to get beyond that and if the team wants Marshan to be part of, you know, one of the top lines in hockey. That, that has to happen. And I think Marshan has been told, you got one more chance here, clean up your act or we're not tolerating it anymore. That's something else that I think uh, Murph you know, the team really learned from in, in toward the end of the playoff run. Yeah, you know what? You're right, Chags. And, and, you know, I can't believe I forgot to bring that up. But you're right. You're absolutely right. And, look, I I have somebody, you know, I was texting with back and forth. It's, it's pretty tied in there. And, you know, they said to me after game four, they said, this kid's writing his ticket out of town. And this is based on conversations with the hierarchy of – the Bruins, and I'm not talking just Cam Neely and Don Sweeney. I'm talking above them. The man that resides in Buffalo was not happy at all. And that message was sent to him loud and clear uh, after game four and, and even game five. And, you know, they said to him exactly basically what you just said. Like, look, we've got, we've got a lot of issues coming up here, right, Brad? We're going to have to make a lot of movement to keep this thing going, to keep building what we're building here. There's going to be cap casualties, so to speak. And right now, you're not one of them. But if you continue to be this way on the ice and off the ice and act like this, you're going to be one of them. It's like you're, you're just – they were just basically saying you're handing this to us on a silver platter. You're making it easier for us. If we have, ever have to move you for cap issues, you're making it very easy for us. And – you need to clean your act up right now, just like you said. And he got it. And, Travis, I was right there. You saw the video we, we had there. And he was shook to the core. I mean, I, I've never seen an athlete just that, you know, after supposedly getting a, a, a talking to from his coaches and ownership and his peers. I've never seen an athlete like that so shook. And he got it. You could tell. And now he's just going to apply it. But I think the key is, is Patrice Bergeron got a hold of him. And he looks at Patrice Bergeron like his older brother. I mean, he adores him. I, mean, it's, it's a, I heard that he's trying to move in next to him uh, so they'll have houses next to each other and their kids can grow up together. And, uh, I mean, he loves Patrice Bergeron. And Patrice Bergeron was not happy with Brad Marchand. And when that happens, there's going to be change. And I, I think that's the biggest thing going there. And that's why, you know what, the Bruins are so lucky to have Bergeron drags because he really is he's sort of the the he's the unofficial captain of that team and and the way brad marsh no is affected by it to see to see what patrice bergeron's words to see that effect that he, it had on brad marsh was astonishing and i 
I think that's it. That's the key right there. And he's going to say, all right, do I want to let down this guy who's believed in me? And man, I talked to Mark Recchi for a story I did last week. And, you know, Recchi's like, look, we, we've tried so hard with this kid. It's, it's got to come a time where he realizes, yeah, I know you needed to be this way to get where you are. We get it. And nobody's questioning that. Nobody's saying you should have changed that. But you don't need it anymore. Like you are an elite superstar. And, and it's your, the choice is yours now. You want, you want to be you want to be part of the best, then you got to be the best. And being the best means acting like a professional. And we'll see what happens. I think that you're right. That's a huge key going forward. No question. And, you know, I, I regard Patrice Bergeron right up there with Bobby Orr. And I you know some people think that's uh, heresy and, you know, um, sacrilege uh, to, to suggest that. But I, I do. And, you know, had – Add Bergeron. Had the Bruins won that 2013 Stanley Cup, I think you could make that argument that Bergeron oh, yeah. and Bobby Orr are on, on the same plateau, same level in terms of of greatness, class, and what the Bruin crest is all about. You know, without getting overly um, syrupy here, that's <laughs> what I think it is. That's exactly what I think it is. Now, you know what I mean. Trags, you know I've been around. I lived in Montreal for a bit, and you, you know I talked to a lot of people around the league. And I'm telling you, whether it's players, coaches, management, uh, scouts, what have you, and then even just my friends who coach their kids' hockey teams, uh, you know, even at the amateur. Patrice Bergeron, right now, is the epitome of what you want a hockey player to be. You know, he's everything. He's he, he's he's a great 200 foot player. He's a leader. He's tough. He's classy. Uh, he, he's dignified. It's just, he, he's great. And I, I'm with you. I don't think that's an overstatement. He's going to be right there. And that number will hang in the rafters there. And, you know, you just hope going forward that he's able to win another cup here. And, and Brad Marchand could be a big part of that if that's going to happen. I'll tell you what, though, quickly before we get going. Trads, we, we talked about this before and we just said it. Look, you know, the Bruins are going to have to clear some cap space. And I wrote about this a while ago. I've been hearing stuff at the trade deadline, and now it's starting to resurface because the Bruins season is over and everybody's saying, what are the offseason moves going to be? What do they need to do? And Tory Krug's name is constantly coming up because – I'm not surprised by that. They're going to need to free up money. He's, he's 27. He is a weapon on the power play. Everybody knows that. He's, very, he's a fast skater. Um, you know, he's not, you know, a, a traditional blue liner, right? He's not a traditional defenseman, but he can carry the puck. Uh, he's an offensive weapon in today's NHL, which you need, obviously. Um, and, you know, he's still young enough to be productive for, you know, a good five to ten years to come. Uh, I think he is – a player that other teams would certainly be interested in. Um, uh, and not only that, if they have to let him go, um, you know, it's a contract that would clear up a significant chunk of cap space, right? So yep. um, he is a guy that I certainly would understand if he weren't on the Bruins next year. I'd, I'd understand why, because, you know, you're, you are going to have to think about Jake DeBrusque and Charlie McAvoy going forward. Yeah, I mean, just look at it, okay? So in 2019, Don Sweeney's going to have one of the most important summers of his uh, GM career. He's got Ryan Donato, Danton Heinen, Charlie McAvoy, and Brandon Carlo are all RFAs. 
and are all most likely going to be due for a good pay raise. And when we talk about a pay raise for Charlie McAvoy, with the way things have been going for the second-year contracts in the NHL, especially with defensemen, the Trags, he's going to break the bank. And you got to free that money up somewhere else. And I think that's one of the reasons, too, that maybe they gave Zanino Char a little extra money and, and cut back on the years because we all heard he wanted two years. And maybe Sweeney said, look, how about I give you like an extra 1.5 and we cut off a year just because I don't know where I'm going to be, Z, and I'm going to have to sign these guys. So he's got, if you free right. up Krug's 5.2 that year, that's going to help him a lot to take care of a lot of uh, house clean internal signings when it comes to RFA. So it's going to be something to watch over the summer. It's no knock on Tory Krug. It just means he's good and a lot of people want him. Um, and no, and, right. we're not and saying, I think they'll go ahead. No, I think they'll take advantage of that. Yeah. And, and that's, you know, fans can understand when we report this stuff and we're, we're suggesting it, it, it might happen or should, we're not knocking Tory Krug. I mean, I think Tory Krug's great. And I think he's kind of a unsung leader in that dressing room as well. I think he's been great with the young kids. I really respected the way, you know, it didn't always go as planned, but I respected the way that he's made a sincere effort to correct the defensive aspect of his game. Um, like I said, there were some times it reared its ugly head in the playoffs, but, you know, he's definitely improved over the last year. But this is a guy that has value on the open market. So we'll see what happens. And now Sweeney's saying, too, that, you know, he might or he's already had talks to try and move up and get a first-round pick back because he doesn't have one. Um, so it's an interesting thing to watch. There's going to be a lot to talk about. And that's why, uh, for the listeners, <coughs> excuse me, we're not done. We'll be, we'll be broadcasting the, uh, Bruins beat here, uh, weekly, probably up until, uh, the second or third week of July. So definitely come back here. Trags, we'll have you back on again. I, I really enjoyed our coverage, my man. I thought we killed it. We had some fun times down there in the, uh, down on the bench at TD Gardner. I'm telling you, Trags, next year, we're going to do it from the sin bin, though. Yeah, we do. I, I agree. We have to do one of those uh, ringside from the penalty box. It's just, uh, it would be very creative. It would be great, right? Uh, it, it will, uh, maybe we'll get, like, Terry O'Reilly to join us as, a, as another guest, and we'll sit down there with him in the penalty box. Hey, listen, my friend, you have a great one. Keep up the great coverage of the, uh, the Sox, Pats, and Celtics at uh, CLNS Media, and uh, I know it's a Bruins show, track, but you got can – I, can I ask for a prediction on the Celtics? Uh, I'm going to go, unfortunately, Cavs and six. I just think that uh, LeBron's going to be too much, and I think uh, the Cavaliers have a lot more maturity than the Sixers did, and uh, I think it's going to show up in the series. And, and they're still at the 2-2-2 I mean, the two two one 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 format, right? Yeah, that is correct, yes. So that would mean that they, uh, Cleveland would get game six in Cleveland. You know <sighs> – I'm, I'm going to say Celtics, Celtics in seven. What the hell? I mean, I don't, I don't really believe it's going to happen. I'll just say it for the heck of it. You never know. These kids, I love how they're just playing aloof out there. They're having fun and, you know, they're playing with house money, as they say. So we'll see what happens. They, they definitely are doing that. Fan. What's that, Trex? No, they definitely are playing with house money. But the Bruins and Celtics are very similar in uh, their youth movement and the bright futures they have. Uh, moving forward, I think I think they could be on parallel paths, actually. So that will be cool if we could ever see a, a Celtics uh, final and Bruins finals, Stanley Cup, NBA finals at TD Garden at the same time. I think we could see it in the coming years, Travis, because uh, you know what? They're both teams are learning to fly right now. They're getting where they want to be, 
and they're on a solid path, like you said. No question. I think it should be a very, very exciting next couple of years and very long and exhausting postseason runs, but it should be fun. Well, we'll send you out then on that note. Uh, since he, he passed right away, right at the beginning of this season, Tom Petty. You know, one of my favorite songs, Learning to Fly. And of course, our wonderful producer, Dave Cullinan, put together this good montage with Tom Petty, Learning to Fly. Until next season, Drags, I will see you around, hopefully. Maybe we'll bump into each other in the, at the ballpark or something, because I'll be down Fenway a couple times, all right? That sounds like a plan, Mark. All right, that's Mike Petralia, CLNS Media. I'm Jimmy Murphy on the Bruins beat. Let go.